0: The Behemoth Brewing Company presents the Department of Conversation with Pat Brittenden. Behemoth, give me something hoppy. O
1: kia Welcome back to another Department of Conversation brought to you by Behemoth Brewing. Uh, behemothbrewing.co.nz is where you find out more about their over 240 beers for the past seven years. Behemoth have made over 240 beers. Many of those have been small batch one-offs. They are the king of craft beers. Find out more about them at behemothbrewering.co.nz. Hey, thanks for being back with us. It's been a bit of a a few days, actually, since we've had a bit of a chat, um, but got some exciting stuff coming up in the next few days, which I'll tell you about at the end of this episode. Um, But to be honest with you, I've been doing a lot of setting up, a lot of kind of businessy stuff in the background which is not very interesting and doesn't really impact this but it does use up a lot of my time so uh, I'm sorry I haven't been quite around the last uh, week or so but we have been here we're we're doing podcasts every week but just maybe not quite as much as we have in the past but that is starting to change with uh, a bunch of people coming through Dunedin and of course that we are connecting with on Zoom as well thanks to things like the Dunedin Fringe Festival, which is on the way. So uh, a lot of Dunedin Fringe comedians going to be coming through over the next wee while, uh, including today Eli Mathewson is our guest. We'll tell you more about him shortly, but I wanted to let you know that this episode was brought to you in part by Beardy Boys Coffee beardy boy coffee is a new way for you to support podcasters content creators and this podcast it's fresh roasted coffee direct from our dunedin roastery to you if you want to support the department of conversation head to beardyboy.nz doc to make your purchase what we're basically asking you is if you're a coffee drinker uh, we're not looking for you to join on board with something like a Patreon, but if you're a coffee drinker and you already buy fresh roasted beans, in other words, beans from a cafe that have been roasted there and then, maybe not beans from the um, from supermarket, but fresh roasted, done that morning, you've got them that afternoon, then maybe you'd consider trying our roasted beans for a while because when you purchase a bag of fresh roasted Beardy Boy uh, coffee beans, uh, we have money in our account immediately. Visit Bettyboy.nz/doc to get your Betty Boy coffee and help us continue to make the Department of Conversation. Eli Mathewson is our guest today. He is a comedian. He is a writer. Uh, really impressive uh, body of work as well. Um, writes for, I guess you call them factual, panel-type shows. Appears on those shows. Has created and in part written and directed Uh, A sitcom in New Zealand has done a stand up comedy all over the world, and he's got a brand new hour to share with New Zealand and hopefully the world if we get some corona, COVID slash relief and we're able to see the rest of the world. Uh, A huge amount of fun to spend some time with comedian Eli Matthewson. And we are live with comedian. Uh, Eli Mathieson. Eli. Good afternoon, and thanks for coming to the Department of Conversation.
0: Kia ora. thank you so much for having me. What is a delight to be on Zoom?
1: Oh, thank you. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I wonder if this is going. I wonder if this is going to change, sort of post COVID. Like, are we going to continue to Zoom as much as we did um, post COVID? Has this become a new way of doing things, or post COVID, whatever that looks like? Are we going to go back to? doing as much as we can in person. There's something quite nice about going to work like with your pyjama bottoms on.
0: I love it. I've definitely used it as an excuse to not meet people in real life. You know, sometimes we want to have a real life meeting and I'm like, I would rather wake up five minutes before that meeting, so let's just do it via Zoom. Or because I'm in a long distance relationship at the moment, I work in Auckland, but I'm trying to trying to um, juggle a few days here and there in Wellington to make it roll correctly.
1: So that's where, the, I want that's where the partner is. Partner's in Wellington?
0: Yeah, he lives in Wellington. So I've just got back from there this morning. Right. And I did one day of remote work, and it kind of worked. <laughs>
1: your work at the moment, you are a comedian. I see you uh, kind of flitting around the country doing fringe festivals and various gigs over the next couple of months. Uh, is that your mm-hmm. main paid gig? Oh, no, because you're also writing for um, – sorry, the num- that name just jumped out of my head. Um, have I got cool. your t- attention? Sorry, the TVNZ.
0: Pretty close. Yeah. Pretty close. People make up a lot of different names of the show. It's called Have You Been Paying Attention? Have You Been Paying Attention? I'm Sorry. Writer of the writer of the show. That's yep. what I'm doing at the moment. I'm in one of TVNZ's meeting rooms. That's this beautiful uh, curtain behind me. Yeah. But yeah, that's my main gig. People often, five say, days a week. Yeah, people
1: often say, what do you do? And I'm like, "That's a hard question to answer. So what I typically do is say, well, this is where the bulk of my income comes from. So would that be if someone said, what you do by that? That's sort of you know, paid Monday to Friday writing with TVNZ.
0: Yeah, and it depends how many follow up questions I want. If I'm in a situation where I don't want to be asked too many questions, I say writer because people are like, okay. But if you say comedian, particularly with an Uber driver or someone at customs or something like that, you're going to get a lot of follow up questions.
1: It must be uh, like a writer for TVNZ. That must be. I used to find when I worked in radio, it would be really frustrating at times if people said, What are you doing? And I said, I work and, you know, I'm an announcer on the radio station. I used to avoid that because that would engender a whole bunch of questions. So, quite yeah. often I just say, you know, I, I work in communications or um, I work for More FM. What do you do? Oh, you know, just kind of make coffee. Because it's true, when Kim and Corbett would start, because I was the overnight butt boy, I would make them a coffee as I left the door. So I said, oh, I make coffee for some of the wow, other games. Oh, really? That kind of Dude, stuff. Wow. Yeah, I was a great. I was yeah, a, so I was a I brown I at, So, as I say, I work at TVNZ, and then I
0: assume people, people must make assumptions that I work in marketing or something. I might, like, yes, and <laughs> can.
1: Roll with that. <laughs> is it um, is it out Is it like a cruisy job? I would think that you know, creating content for yourself, you do whatever you want, dress however you want, say whatever you want. Working for like a corporation like TVNZ, is it still as cruisy? Do you turn up in your shorts and t-shirt and flip flops, or do you have to be a bit more sort of uh, commercial for it? I
0: well, yeah, I would say I have to dress up slightly better than usual just because our positioning in the office is right next to the actual news so it's like all your simon Dallas and your actual news people so you don't want to look like complete trash um but we do work for instance on sundays so sundays we do look like this today we look like trash and uh some days we start late into the evening so you don't have to look that good
1: and was um have i been paying attention was that a Kind of a direct response to Seven Days, because a lot of people kind of compare the two of them, you know, even with some of the comedians coming from one to the other. Uh, I mean, in mm-hmm. the in the UK, the UK seems to be king of those comedian, uh, you know, panel shows. There's seems to be thousands of them. There's Mock of the Week, and there's Out of Ten Cats, and Cats Does Countdown, and you know they're they're everywhere. Um, yeah. But is that what it was? Was it like TVNZ trying to go? Well, th- this is doing well on three. We need something to go along it's with a- it
0: it's an imported format have you been paying attention is from australia and the australian version is hosted by a guy called tom and it was his podcast basically um that was became a half hour tv show it's probably about the same age as seven days i think i think they've just had their 10 year have you been paying attention birthday mm-hmm. um and i think tv just wanted a fun panel show for a while they have tried a few different formats uh, and this one they brought over, because I think it is like, in terms of the for what a comedian has to bring to the show, um, it's quite a fun one to do because the you don't have to set up your own jokes. Whereas on seven days, you're having a big discussion, you'd be like, "Here's a sentence about what I'm going to make a joke about, and here's my joke. The way our format works, the setups are all quiz questions. So Hayley reads out the quiz question, and you just have to buzz in just with the punchline. So it's like quite um, fast paced and uh, a bit
1: of fun so it's more not not that it has to be compared to anything but it's more eight out of ten cats rather than seven days question answer yeah comedy comes from it through the questions
0: yes and it's and there's actual points the correct answers do count as well so um it has a little bit more of a real quiz element and i think for the viewers as well like i watch it with my boyfriend's parents sometimes and they like I'm guessing the answer They don't listen to any of the jokes They're just trying to guess the answers To the whole quiz So I think For some people They do just watch it as a quiz
1: It's funny how that happens eh? I know for me And this will Kind of reveal my uh, Largely geeky side I watch One of my Probably my favourite show Not that I watch it on television I tend to watch it on the internet Is 8 out of 10 cats Does Countdown Like them doing the Countdown version And I just Have to do the maths Quizzes like the actual, it's like it's a hilariously funny comedy show, but the thing that I enjoy and get into it most is trying to work out the maths puzzles. I can't not do it. In fact, I'm even even when I'm skipping through it, like sometimes I'll skip or I'll look around or it'll be an episode I've seen before, but it's on in the background. I'll I'll pause at whatever I'm doing to do the, the maths puzzle because I have to do it. I can't not.
0: Yeah, I'm the same. Whenever I watch it I do all the word puzzles as well and try and beat the people I'm sitting with rather than really properly paying attention to the show.
1: <laughs> Which kinda of goes to show that I mean, when we think of comedy, I mean you're the expert, not me here, obviously. Um, if we we're thinking comedy is like how much how it feels like that's changed a lot, like that that formula of actual, you know, question and answer, actual having knowledge based on top of the comedy, it's like a double whammy. So you can watch it if you want to get the answer to the quiz, like like the in laws. Or you watch it if you mm. want to hear the, you know, the uh, Jimmy Carr dirty dick joke, or whatever it is. It, it can supply for everybody.
0: Can be both things. I wouldn't profess to be an expert on comedy. I don't know if there's. Is, is it possible? Is it possible to be an expert on comedy? I guess. But, I guess between subjective the subjective art form.
1: Between the two of us, you would be the expert. On comedy, <laughs> Seeing it as a profession yeah. of yours.
0: Yeah, I guess so. I guess it's technically my job. <laughs>
1: Your, um, your comedy that you're doing at the moment, the new tour, is called Daddy Long Legs. Have I got that right?
0: Daddy Short
1: Legs. Daddy Short Legs. Actually. Sorry, I knew that. I'm sorry about that.
0: Um, no.
1: It's a brand new hour, and I was listening mm-hmm. to a podcast just yesterday. Um, who, uh, the podcast is Mark Maron's podcast, and he was talking to um, Eddie Murphy. And Eddie Murphy said the hour, you know, the hour, everyone talks about if you've got a new hour, was a thing invented by Richard Pryor. That before Richard Pryor kind of started touring an hour, everyone had their tight ten. And that was pretty much all comedians, no matter what height of, you know, seniority you had or whatever, did they just all did because they were preparing for late night shows and stuff. And um I thought it was really interesting to think that 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 kind of idea of touring an hour and having a new hour. Uh, was sort of started, according to Eddie Murphy, by Richard Pryor. And you've got a new hour yeah, coming well, up.
0: Well, there's kind of, I feel like, a, split, a separation in the world of comedy in terms of America and the U- UK. Yep. Because in America, that I, the idea of having an hour, it's more like you have a special that you build up over time and you build up your 10 and then your 20 and then your 30 and then you have your special. And often your special is just like your best jokes, Start to finish in a in a fun order, whereas in the UK, especially structured around like the Edinburgh Festival, it's more like you have an hour show every year. You're always working on a new hour, and the hour tends to be have more of a story arc or be be a show that takes you on a journey rather than just a um, just a show full of jokes. So I feel like in New Zealand and Australia, we're kind of because we've grown up with both both UK and US comedy like we've kind of grown up in between those two worlds so yeah yeah. you see yeah you see comedians working here some of them are just like they just work on their gear until they have enough and then they do the hour and but for me i think i'm more just like i want to write a new hour every year or every couple of years just as a and i'll have a thing that i want to make this show about it's not just going to be an hour of my best jokes.
1: So yeah. a, a narrative or a theme that runs through the whole hour, what that you kind of keep referencing back to sort of thing. Well, that's obvious that's involved with the, the, when you're in that point at the 43rd minute, it's obvious that the theme is involved in that part of the conversation.
0: Yeah, I think so. And look often, I think most comedians say their comedy show is going to be about this. And then often it shoots off to lots of different directions, but yeah, gives it a, gives it a structure, gives it a beginning, middle and end. Um, yeah, and honestly, I think I feel like that takes the pressure off because if you're trying to make a show that is just jokes and jokes is all it is, then you really, they really need to build on each other and the best one needs to be at the end that tops everything beforehand, which is a lot of pressure. But to tie up a story is a, kind of a more achievable.
1: It is funny because I'm thinking about, you know, let's say in the last 10 years there's been a few... Um, Comedians that have probably blown up in America that aren't American like the Jim Jeffries of this world and he had that, you know, everyone who like enjoys comedy knows the, the, the gun story that he told or uh, his best friend with multiple sclerosis going to the prostitute or these stories that he's done and they're all about 20 minutes. Are you saying for you that, you you kind of have said this, you talk about one theme all the way through. It seems the other way, the in-between between what you're saying and the American is like what Jim Jeffries does. He tells like 20, 25-minute stories, but he might tell two or three or four of them in a special. Or he might do joke, 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 finish with a half-hour story.
0: Finish so, with a big story. Yeah. yeah. But often those specials aren't like in, a, in the same way as an any show would be like have, they'll it would be called Jim Jeffries Live or Jim Jeffries One Word. In the bio would just be his best jokes whereas I feel like in the UK they tend to be more like what I've discovered this year this is this, this show is about a breakup this show is about something like this um, yeah so but what, then I think
1: what happens if you get somehow you wake up in the middle of the night ah, and there's a the, the comedy gods are shining in I the room up. and um, yeah. and you've got something gold that's actually not related to the theme do you kind of you, do you put it asunder and wait till the following year, or do you try and um, try and kind of crowbar it into what you're doing?
0: Yeah, crowbar or, or organically fit it into the seamless narrative of your show. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I guess I'm uh, what, what I I definitely look at everything that I've got and see what can fit into the show, what will be a too much of a detour. Um, what is vital to it? Yeah. So, but if it's really funny, I'll just put it in the show. Just crowbar it.
1: <laughs> just crowbar it in. If it's gold,
0: just smash it in somewhere. Because often, if you're telling a big story as well, you want to um, break it up with something, something a bit fun.
1: The other thing I was thinking, I was talking to Russell Howard. He came on the podcast the other day, and I huge name drop. Yeah, um, <laughs> thank you, but it's but it's relative. <laughs> it's not just a name drop. But there's, there's a reason for it. I haven't had a chance to talk to a comedian about this since. So you're my you're my comedian to talk to. He talked right. about when you're doing those live shows that are for video. You know, you're putting your hours together. You got to make sure the person on the couch gets it. He didn't. He, I'm paraphrasing badly, but he was basically saying you're performing for the performing for the person on the couch, not the person in the room. And although the person in the room enjoys it, it's the person on the couch because it's a special that needs to get it more. And I was wondering, I, I was wondering if that does happen how that might change the live performance. You're talking about comedians going joke, 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 joke or having the narrative. I've went to, i been to a couple of filmings of Seven Days and what a lot of people don't know, obviously, who just watched it on TV, is I was there in the crowd for two and a half hours and there oh, yeah. is a lot of stuff that doesn't make it. And on that night, some of the funniest stuff didn't make it, obviously, for probably ethics and taste and standard levels, but some of the best stuff didn't make it. <laughs> So I'm yeah. interested in the process of the hour you're talking about. It would seem that, and I'll say American comedians who do specials, because I, I listen to a few of them their podcasts and stuff, they will do like a 90-minute or a, an 80-minute set that they've been touring for a year, and then they'll get 60 out of it. So they'll cut 20 of the lesser stuff out and just have 60 from it. Your hour... Would that translate directly to, well, we don't really do DVDs anymore, but a special to show on a screen as is? Like, is it that narrative that tightly all the way through that you get to your 61-minute, you finish, and all 61 minutes is the director's cut?
0: It's hard to know. I mean, no one's really paying any money for New Zealand comedians to make specials. so
1: <laughs> Which is a travesty. Yeah,
0: it is gutting, and I wish it would happen because the main tv opportunity we get is the comedy gala which is awesome Mm. everyone gets comes out does three four minutes and it's such a small amount of stand-up um to get who you are across in um and that would be my prayer to the money people even in the building that i'm in right now would be maybe instead at least for a year instead of investing this big chunk of money into that one big show with 20 people you can invest that money into three or four people having their specials, especially now that things like TV and Z on demand and like those sorts of platforms are um, uh, popular and used, and that's where people go looking for the stuff. And comedy specials on Netflix are huge. Yeah. Um, so if that was to happen to me, I I would probably freak out a little bit. I think if I was, if someone was like, "We want to record your special," I would. It would probably be a mix of both. I'd choose a narrative arc from one of my shows and then all, and then stitch my be- favourite jokes around it to make it a cohesive show with a structure, but that also has my best gags in it.
1: Because, like, I remember when I was talking to Jerry Seinfeld. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I just thought I'd run and slip that <laughs> in. Just, just an absolute... When we are in a car getting some yeah. coffee. Yeah, no, yeah, no, just an <laughs> absolute bullshit. Um... I I don't know, it was was another Kiwi comedian. I mean, I've done 170 of these podcasts now, so it's not that everyone blurs into one, but I can't remember exactly which conversation it was. And that was a question, to me, it seems like when it comes to production, I I understand. I mean, I I have production equipment myself. I understand that it always costs, but to produce an hour of stand-up, like the physical costs of the cameras and the gear and the sound, comparatively, it's not that expensive. So I've always been a bit confused as to why... We don't see more of it. Is it just that New Zealand's not big enough? You know, maybe maybe someone like yourself, if they wanted to, could tour for three years on the same hour. Um, yeah, you know, I've heard stories about Jay Leno not wanting to do a special because he he's like, why would he give it away when he can tour on that for x amount of years and make money in all the towns? Yeah, is it is it that or is it that I don't know. There, there is an outlet for it because you know they say content is king. There's TV and there's TV three or there's you know your own online sort of portals and stuff i just it confuses me as to maybe is the hold up more with the the artist the comedian is not wanting to do it or the television station not wanting to play it or what
0: what's still going to be if a comedian wants to do it themselves and then try and give it to a network it's going to be tens of thousands of dollars i think at a minimum in terms of like hiring a venue dressing it up so it looks good 'Cause you don't want to do it by halves. If you're yeah, gonna film true. your one special, you want it to look really good. Yeah. Um so like Guy Williams did it. I opened for him when he recorded his special at um at Q Theatre, but then he just whacked it on YouTube for free because for him it was like that's what he just wanted lots of people to see it. Um I mean I think there is a world in if yeah, if comedians I've been I've been talking to Reese Nicholson who's got a special on Netflix. And I didn't realise... Netflix didn't commission it. They m- made it, and then they sold it to Netflix. Yeah, right. Um, but it was still, like, the biggest investment of his career to film it. And I, yeah. So, it's hard. Why not? Basically, I feel like one person needs to do it here, and it needs to go great, and then everyone will realise that it's a viable uh, thing to do.
1: Because that idea of kind of the DVD sales is out the back door now. Well, like, at, your, at your shows... I'm just trying to think who I've seen recently. I don't want to name drop again, so I'll just say I was at a recent gig, um, <laughs> and and I or from memory, looking at the merch table, there was t-shirts. Uh, there might well, yeah. there mightn't have been very much else. Like, what is the what is the merch at the moment that gets sold? Obviously, there won't be DVDs, will there? Uh,
0: no, I mean it's hard. I'm mean, the pro. One of the weird things in New Zealand as well is that we don't like have a culture of celebrity as much as overseas so yeah. like when i've gone and done the melbourne comedy festival so many shows do yeah they have merch have like badges t-shirts dvds maybe the album on cd or like a usb drive with the recorded version of it all right like a cheaply filmed special um but i just don't think it happens in new zealand as much mainly because of like maybe tall poppy syndrome like that's yeah, I'd say it's the biggest difference between Australia and New Zealand when I go there because I you see comics who I think are kind of at an equivalent level to um, where some people are here and they've got like a set up place to take photos of the comedian after the show and a merch store and all that kind of stuff. And I just think one of the main reasons it doesn't happen in New Zealand is because um, we don't want to look try hard, you know, it's like, that, it, it's like tall poppy syndrome that we don't um, have stuff like that for sale.
1: I wonder if I was just talking to someone today actually about our personal attributes and how often our personal attributes that are our strength are also our weaknesses. So I know someone who's um, quite fastidious at getting things done, like get onto it, get things done quickly. It's really, really impressive to watch. But what it also means is this person can't really sit still and just chill either. It's like has to get things done. So it's it's both a strength and a weakness. I think it was Michael Hurst who told the story somewhere about, uh, you know, his character in uh, Hercules, um, and uh, when he was in America needing security, especially going to conventions, and he tells a story about a, a kid going down Ponsonby Road on a skateboard. Um, I, f- I forget the name of his character, but just giving him the Kiwi, you know, the eye- eyebrows up and saying, g'day, you know, and mentioned his character's name and kept going. And that was one of yeah. the things he was saying. That's way he loved New Zealand. But I guess the flip side to that is, you know, I don't want a Michael Hurst t-shirt either. So that sort of thing. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. I would say up in Auckland, I mean, you know, you see the Lord walking down the road <laughs> every so often and no one's kind of running up and giving her trouble. Um, which, yeah, it's it's nice. But I think sometimes it's like we've got, especially just a comedy, I'm like, Rosewater is one of the best comedians in the world. You know, like she won the Edinburgh Award. She's got an HBO special. And I hung out with Rose, you know, people don't come up and talk to her or ask for photos, which is probably best. It's probably nice to be uh, walking around in society and that being all good. But um, yeah, it does also feel like sometimes we just look down on ourselves as a country and that's definitely inbuilt on the way the public perceives New Zealand comedy. All you have to do is read any comment section under any article about comedy published in this country and you will see how much we love to hate our own people. <laughs> really?
1: That's so weird, Every eh?
0: section is New Zealand comedians is an oxymoron or, like, I don't like New Zealand comedians. I prefer Michael McIntyre. Like, it's just an endless fight.
1: It's so bizarre. I mean, I, you used the phrase briefly before tall poppy, tall poppy syndrome, and I guess that's sort of what you're talking about. It's so weird. It's But then, like, if you could live in a world where, you know, your lord... And you can walk down the street, yet also you could make a, a good living off your own country. Because I mean, obviously it doesn't matter for Lord because yeah. she's made tens of millions of dollars in the states and around the world, so she doesn't need to make money out of New Zealand. But you know, I think about lots of bands that have been, you know, iconic Kiwi bands that really, you know, need to go off after a while and be physiotherapists because they got they, they want to yeah. have kids and have a have a house so that there's just not the money in New Zealand so unless you break it internationally massive, you know, in the comedy world you might say, maybe Rose Manifay or maybe a la Flight of the Concords or Reese Darby or someone, that you have to be, I would think, working other jobs in New Zealand if you're a comic Yeah
0: Yeah, I would say so, you've just got to be really um, to be a comedian and work full time, you've just got to be really versatile, you need to be able to do TV writing, you need to do crowd warm ups for shows. You just need to hustle and do everything. I don't like. I don't think it's particularly possible to make a living as a stand up comic who just performs stand up comedy here. Well, I, it, would, I would say there's almost no one here doing that full, yeah, full time.
1: But actually, as I say that as well, I mean, I've mentioned, you know, for a lot of the Concords, Rhys Darby. Actually, you'd probably say they haven't done it doing stand up only either. They've moved into movies no, and exactly. television and stuff. So even. So, I mean, do you have to be Dave Chappelle to only have stand-up and nothing else? Like, is that where the, the level has to be?
0: Yeah. I mean, Ursula Carlson is pretty, I think, would be one of the closest we have and, and probably could give up all of her TV and just tour and make a pretty decent living. Um, yeah. But it's still, yeah. Whereas if you live in the States and you're a rising comedian, you get booked four tours, and they bust you around, and you pay all these small things. And even in Australia, there's that same system where you, they'll do a comedy roadshow after the Melbourne Festival for like four months. And yeah. So these new young comics get a four-month full-time gig doing stand-up comedy. Yeah. That's not possible here. We just don't have enough places to perform at.
1: It's all what you're talking about is also economies of scale. Like I remember when I was um I was doing the overnight shift on News ZB. So absolute bottom of the barrel. You know, worst shift in radio, yada yada yada. But if you worked it out per capita at the time, uh, that show—not me, but that show—because there was two of us who did it—had more listeners than Bill O'Reilly had viewers per capita. But of course, but because of the economies of scale, he was able to monetize it and make tens of millions of dollars. And you just—you just can't in a smaller in a smaller country. You can't do it. Yeah. So multiply all of those things by, you know, uh, it's a, a a middle comedian can tour 200 locations in America every weekend and earn a living probably. Earn
0: a living out of it, yeah. I mean, I think there are some positives about, about having a small industry, like in terms of breaking into TV in New Zealand, you know, like the connections of people you need to meet to do that is is smaller than they might be in the US, you mm-hmm. know? You can probably, if, you, if you're a comic in Christchurch or Wellington, and you can probably fly up to Auckland one weekend and you might be able to get on a bill at the Classic with Paul Ego, tap him on the shoulder. You know, like those, those connections can be made quite easily in the country where the industry is so tight, which is good.
1: Yeah, there's probably a couple of people who are, although they probably, I mean, they have other lines of income. Like, obviously, we all know about Stickman and Paul Ego. But the Jeremy yeah. Jeremy Corbett's and Paul Ego's and those guys are probably about as close as you get to full-time comedians. Eh? I mean, Jeremy and Paul used to both work yeah. in radio, but now it's sort of comedy based on television and corporate gigs, and that's probably the bulk of their income. Not that I would have any yeah. interest in knowing more about their income, but you know what I mean.
0: I mean, I guess I guess, I won't. Will... I will say Brendan Lovegrove is probably the person in New Zealand who is making a good living just as a live performer. Right. Um, yeah, because he doesn't get books for TV as much as he should. and But I think he basically hustles hard, performs stand-up all year over the Christmas period, does heaps of corporate gigs. That funds his his life, which is great.
1: It's funny you had mentioned his name. I think I saw his manager or, or, or his booking agent or someone on Facebook the other day say, uh he was talking about corporate gigs. He was booked to do ten minutes or something, did an hour. This man is a legend. That sounds
0: like that sounds like Love Grove. Yeah. So
1: that's <laughs> that's pretty cool. As a, yeah, it's a
0: pretty good as
1: a comedian as, in New Zealand. As long as
0: you're not the comedian waiting to go on stage after when he does yeah, an hour. <laughs> it was
1: it was said more in a positive the way I read it and, and I don't know the background, but the way I read it was he was the comedian at the corporate gig perhaps at the end of the conferency thing yes. and he gave them more than they right. paid for that's that's how I read it I mean I, I don't know the details but so we'll see
0: definitely and he would he's someone who genuinely loves every moment of being on stage which I think is rare
1: <laughs> what is the um, I mean you're a you're a young man uh, you what's the what's the projection what's the future what is the the path for you what do you want to do with your life
0: <laughs> big question um i would love to record a special as we've talked about much throughout this and i would love to um it's weird i don't know that i really necessarily want to like sell out giant theaters everywhere but i i um i want to be able to keep doing it for as long as possible because i really enjoy performing stand-up and i want to write I, w- I would love to write a film that's kind of one of mm. my long-term Goals as well. I've been lucky enough to write for a few TV shows. um, And then the like for like Jonathan Ben and Funny Girls and like little sketch comedy stuff. And then got to write for Golden Boy, which is a show that I helped create, which is a little sitcom. And we got to do two seasons. And I don't know if there'll be any more, but like, yeah, that was a lot of fun to work in a sitcom space, especially because we really went with the full American model of sitcom writing, which I don't <laughs> think is – most sitcoms in New Zealand are not really in that model. So we – yeah, we really tried to write it and edit it as, a, as an American sitcom. So it really was like one-liner, 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 shows like 30 Rock or Kimmy Schmidt or like Parks and Recreation that we were obsessed with. We were like, oh let us make our version of that.
1: Um, I was going to ask you about that because – uh, uh, as a creator of a of a sitcom it seems that there's a model out there that when especially comedians create sitcoms they're creating it for themselves uh, I mean mm. the, probably the most famous is not to mention you know our friend of the show again Jerry Seinfeld <clears throat> um, <laughs> best mate <laughs> best mate but you know even people like Greg Davies with Man Down and, and, and those sorts of things they kind of draw in their own experiences and they write it for themselves uh, but that's yeah. not that's not what you guys did with uh, with Golden Boy Golden Boy yeah what was it? Yeah, what... Golden
0: Boy was. It was born out of like TV Three were doing like a pilot um, situation. So I think six, they funded six different people to make pilots for, um, for different sitcoms and cause it was a competition. I think we went into it being like, let's make the sitcom that New Zealand would want to watch. So we were like, what does New Zealand love? Rugby. Yeah. How can we turn rugby into something that, um, is fun and funny? Let's run a show about the sister of an all-black who lives in his shadow. Um, Yeah. And that was kind of what it was born from. And it was never written with a cast in mind. We just went with a a funny idea. And And then we got to shoot the pilot. And then we got a year or six months or so to then before we actually wrote the series. And when the series started, we like went back to day one. So we kind of replaced the pilot a little bit and went back to the starting block
1: and that's on three on demand right now if people want to check it out um i know sure it's available there to, to be checked out it's interesting the way you would uh talk about how you wrote that so it seems like what you're saying is you almost—I'm not saying that you'd use these words but it sounds to me like you almost took a um a business attitude towards it what's the gap in the market and what do these people yeah. want, what do they want as opposed to i, suspe- I suspect the other ones are Maybe even executives seeing the comedian on stage saying we could do something with their story, and, and and actually the other way around, doing it from the opposite end, saying let's turn this into something for the audience rather than you guys going what does the audience want? I don't know that for sure, but it seems that that's that's the could be, could be the difference between them.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, uh, I mean, a big reason for that is just that there's not many sitcoms made in New Zealand, you know. So like when you've got these opportunities, um, you've kind of really got to think about what is gonna have the biggest appeal to a network or to people um yeah do you do you guys
1: own that do you own the the rights to it
0: god no i don't think so You're creating. so for example
1: if for example they got picked up in australia wanted to do like the the um the sister of a rugby australian rugby league player do you guys do you own any of the rights to it
0: God, I'd have to go back and look at my contracts, right. but I was a bit younger then, and who knows, <laughs> who knows what's written it <laughs> Um, Yeah. But I'd love to make a show based on more personal stuff. I had a – me and my only ever ex-girlfriend, Brimley, we have a theatre show called Exes, which is based on our real relationship. We dated from 20, 2007 to 2009. We were both fresh out of high school it into a theatre show that was uh, a lot of fun and I feel like could make a good TV show so that's um, one thing that's cooking in the back burner hopefully.
1: So you've got one of those stories of kind of discovering who you were after school as you went out like discovering you were your sexuality who you were as a human being.
0: Yeah. I, mean, I basically moved to Auckland to come to drama school here. I started to be an actor at Unitech mm-hmm. and then like I don't know partway through the university year I just kind of Uh, It all clicked into place. Wow. I think I briefly dated a couple of other girls when I first moved to Auckland and then realized it definitely wasn't working out. And then one of my new, like, one of my best friends at school was like out and proud, and I was real jealous. And then we went to see Piranha 3D, the third Piranha film that was in 3D. Right. (laughs) Uh, I think we won tickets off the radio, and then he dropped me home, and then I told him then, and then it was all go from there
1: and and i've I've never asked this question of someone who at some stage has come out but what's that feeling like what's that feeling like to go i'm coming out are you terrified and shit scared or is it like oh wait off completely finally
0: i think it's like fully shit scary because i think it's like once especially the first person you tell because once you say it out loud it's like oh that is out in the world and especially if that's something that you've been thinking about inside yourself for like for me at that point, you know, probably at least like seven years, I've been like, Oh, maybe I am to thinking yes, I am, to then being, being ready to tell someone. It's uh I can't compare it to anything else. Because yeah, you're boiling on it for a long time before you let it out of the pot. Um, but this is kind of one of the things that I'm gonna talk about in my show. Yeah. Um, because for one one of the things that I've noticed is that so my dad has recently come out as well he is 65 really he came out yeah so he came out in 2017 or 2018 to me i think and i was one of the first people he told and one of the major comparisons i think between me telling him and also how i told most people was that it was in a car like we've been like often it's like you have been hanging out with someone the whole evening they drop you home, and then it's like just before you get out, you decide like to drop it. And then I think there's something about being in a car that means that you can just like leave, slam the door. Right, the yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. done. Yeah, yeah. But I came out to my dad, and then like, yeah, probably almost 10 years later, maybe more like eight years later, he came out to me in his car as well after dinner at Boy and Bird, a lovely chicken and roast vegetable restaurant up here in Auckland.
1: Wow. 67. That just must be a mixture of terrifying and freeing like nothing else on the face of the planet at 67.
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And I think, I, I think he felt like he was ready for it now. And it's, it's, it's so um, interesting as well, because obviously when you've had a whole family beforehand, it's not like you're going to be like, Oh, I, I'm gutted. I didn't come out to now because, I mean, I'd like to think he values the five children he (laughs) had before then. Um, So, yeah, I I can't even imagine what it's like to come out at 60 because to me it feels like a lifetime ago that I was in the closet Mm. at 20 years old and Mm. to be holding on to that so long, Mm. um, yeah, it's a lot.
1: Oh, I mean, the the reason that it's it's um, not to pry into too much into your personal business, but it's interesting to me, and I can say this because my story is out there. Is that's what happened in my marriage? My then wife came out, so I've so I've kind oh, of ex- wow. experienced it from the other side. I'm assuming only because I would assume that your dad had a bit of torment going through your life to figuring himself out. Was I'm assuming he wasn't still with your mum, or, or was he? No, nah, all we'll
0: lights yeah. back on. He, um, uh, no, they got divorced when I was like fourteen. Yeah, right. And then he came. He came out to me when I was like 20, not 28, 29. Right. Yeah. But yeah, there was a massive chunk in between. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. I'm just seeing the comedy. I se- of, I'm seeing the comedy
1: series now about dad and son come out trying to I know. trying to figure it out. Who tells who how? That whole kind of back, <laughs> talking to talking talking to someone behind the scenes and how am I going to tell my son? How am I going to tell my dad? How am I going to? And then yeah, I can see it. I can see it. It's a, it's a, it's award winning.
0: I think the same thing, you know. So hopefully, <laughs> some some executive will come on down to my Dunedin Fringe show. Come on down. <laughs> well, I can I can um, I can
1: connect you with Jerry Seinfeld and his people. He might be able to help you out. That'd be pretty.
0: Yeah, easy. thanks. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I know you guys text every day. <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: a really interesting story. It's really interesting, and the other thing about it that's interesting about it. Um, and again, I, I guess I think about and I, I only. I'm just so you're aware. I'm only very. Um, I'm always very clear just to tell my story, not to tell another person's story. That's their story, you know. Yeah. But I shared my story and my perspective um, publicly, as did other as did, you know other parties. Um, but I did it for me personally. Part of the reason was there's it's not uncommon, and often when you're the person who is going, hang on, it's. It's it's good to hear and see other people's stories, whether it's told through comedy. And I actually think comedians and comedy is the best way to tell stories, no matter how serious they are. Dave Chappelle is a master at it, but um, but actually within, you know, within that kind of making people laugh and telling them the truth as well is a really good way of doing it. But one of the reasons I chose to tell my story is when I look when I went looking on the internet when I was going through that I couldn't really find resources that fitted in with my story and i wanted someone else in five years yeah. from now to be able to find my story when it happened with them to try and figure it out to help what they were going through so yeah, your, yeah. your your well, dad will have a story to tell hey eh? oh
0: yeah oh yeah <laughs> um yeah his his one man show we'll be coming to Dunedin Fringe <laughs> <next year.
1: laughs> 2022 Dunedin Fringe father and father and son based on the award-winning hit sitcom father and son <laughs>
0: exactly I could do the,
1: I could do the voiceover for you I've already got it in my head I could do it there's no problems yeah
0: beautiful <laughs> um yeah it was interesting I did Edinburgh 2018 2019 the year before we couldn't do Edinburgh anymore and um yeah i met a lot of people because i talked about it very briefly at the end of that edinburgh show and yeah i met heaps of people afterwards who who had similar things happen with their parents or or with partners yeah and it is interesting because i think the initial fear for people is that it completely invalidates the relationship that they had but i don't think it does it just um it's just part of it you know
1: yeah well speaking from experience again only telling my story it doesn't invalidate it but it certainly changes it um a a lot but like you said to um reiterate and to give you some solace of course I wouldn't change anything I've got three children and without that experience mm. and that life and that you know marriage and that kind of stuff I wouldn't have my kids so that's just without question yeah. if I had to do it all over again knowing what was going to happen I would because I'd have my kids without with, without without a hesitation's thought
0: yeah
1: that's so nice so There you go. Um, It's a nice place to kind of start to wrap up, being told that's so nice, because it's a few minutes before you need to shoot off to do some other stuff. Shall we tell people about what's coming up with you in the next week? Well, if people have a look at their screens right now, if they're watching us, there is your Fringe Festival, uh, Eli Mathewson, Daddy Short Legs. Um, and it looks like you've got a whole brand new hour of comedy. It says, uh, uh, about all things daddy. Is he old enough to be a daddy yet? What does that even mean? After a bombshell revelation from his own father. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, maybe. We've just been talking about that. It's, it's, I don't know it it's been a wild few years. And you also said you're going to be in uh, Christchurch as well.
0: Yes, the same same show's coming to Little Andromeda about a month later, the end of April. And then Wellington and Auckland dates coming up to be announced.
1: Yeah. There we go. They haven't got their tickets up yet, so I'll just leave that there. If people want to find out more about you and what you're up to, Eli, is your website the best place to go?
0: Yeah, elimatthuesson.com or I'm on Twitter or Instagram. It's just my name.
1: Do you do you wear shorts as much as it appears that you do when you're in your kind of on stage and publicity stuff? You seem to wear shorts quite a lot. I mean, I relate. I do as well. I but do. Is, is that your thing?
0: Yeah, I love love getting the games out and also because it's like a weird... Um, A lot of comedians feel like it's a break of a rule. When James Nokise hit me up at the gala last year, he was like, you're not meant to wear shorts on stage, are you? And I was like, (laughs) nah, you can if you want to, man.
1: (laughs) I I think especially
0: with, like, men are so wrapped up. In stand-up, people are like, men wear a suit on stage. I'm like, the more we can break that, (laughs) the better.
1: Yeah, yeah. All right, dude. Hey, look, thanks so much for joining us. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing you when you get to Dunedin and come see your show, and it's going to be – going to be huge to find out more about that; uh, those life-changing things you've learned through this journey. But thanks for joining us. I appreciate your time today. And um, Eli Mathewson with two Ts. Uh, com, is the place to find out more about Eli. Eli, do all the best. Cheers for that.
0: Thanks, mate. Pleasure.
1: Alright, team. That's us, Done and Dusted, the Department of Conversation. Uh, thanks to the Behemoth Brewing Company. Uh, Behemothbrewing.co.nz for more information on them. This podcast was also brought to you in part by Beardy Boy Coffees. It's a way for you to support this podcast and others. Head to beardyboy.nz slash doc. Purchase one of four different roasts of coffee, including decaf. Have them roasted in the morning, delivered to your house. Well, in the post that afternoon, delivered to your house ASAP. And if you buy a bag, uh, either 200 gram or one kilo, uh, and we would say that those prices also challenge other fresh roasted coffees from directly from cafes as well, then uh, you will be helping us make this podcast. Every bag sold puts money directly into the Department of Conversation Bank Balance. So you can have your coffee, enjoy it, it's lovely, it's fresh, and you help us continue to make the Department of Conversation, bellyboy.nz slash doc. Right, coming up next uh, next podcast, we're going to be having a chat with Anthony Field. Anthony Field is not a name you may recognise very well, but you will know this one, the Blue Wiggle. Uh, I managed to catch up with Anthony over the weekend and have a a, a really interesting, fun chat with him about all sorts of stuff. Uh, Probably half of it Wiggles-related, half of it not. And he... um, yeah just shared and shared and shared and it was a great time uh, depending when you uh, hear this I'm going to release the Wiggles conversation on Tuesday morning that'll be the 16th uh, obviously if you're listening to this after that then it's already up and ready to go uh, but the Blue Wiggle talking about 30 years of being a Wiggle and th- uh, talking about life in general as well that's coming up shortly hey thanks for joining us we have been making sweet sweet love in your ear holes since 2018 we continue to do it and we'll do so for as long as we humanly can been another fun one thanks to eli for joining us again today if you want to find out more about us or contact us head to either facebook.com slash docnz or head to www.thedoc.nz and lovely to be back with you stay safe my friends hooroo